I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I have no idea where when that would be. <laughs> what kind of mood you have to be in. To... It's like, hey, you wanna get a beer and watch Come and See with me? It's yeah. Like, I might need something heavier than a beer, to be completely honest. It's not a date night movie, that's for sure. <laughs> Hello, boys and girls, men and women, and all of you who identify as something completely different. Welcome to the Films and Vika podcast, another lovely episode with another Russian movie, foreign film. Me and Mao decided that it's been a while, and so we're seeing Come and See, and goddamn, is it depressing. Yeah. With me, as always, here is Mao. Over to you, Mao. What's going on at the oh. sports desk? at the sports desk i would be that would be like the last job that i would ever get because i'd be like i think they just yes they scored congratulations <laughs> the ball has entered the net <laughs> like the only um the only sports like i understand how some sports work but mostly because i played them not because i enjoy watching them basketball being one of them mm. Um, soccer being another. Wasn't it you that dragged me into watching the Super Bowl with y'all? Yeah, because uh, so American football, weirdly enough, is one of the. I think it's the only sport that I watch outside of the soccer World Cup. Um, I think it just has to do with the fact that I've always watched it with my dad, and it's not like like we don't really have a team that we root for because. A, we're not American, and B, we don't really care. Yeah. Um, but it's always been like interesting to watch it, and like my dad and I, you know, not every Sunday because we have a life sometimes, but the, the Sundays that we don't really have anything to do specifically, we'll sit down and probably watch all three games of the day, and um, it's fun. I like it, but I would I would never be able to have a sports related job. <laughs> I don't get them that much it is a very american thing to sit down like every other day every single day and watch american football like mm. i don't get it um i concluded that i am simply not competitive by the fact that i tried really hard to get into esports like soccer is uninteresting to me i lose interest after yeah. 30 minutes and that like halfway through half what do you even call it half game have yeah yeah sure yeah a quarter into the game and i'm just out i'm not at all interested yeah. so i tried esports and really tried to i think i even watched like half a season of uh, league of legends or something along those lines yeah and i was just like this is not interesting it's cool mm. i actually know what's happening on the screen for once but i concluded that i'm so not competitive that i do not care I just want mm -hmm. everybody to love each other, hug each other, and uh, <laughs> and not be upset with the other person scoring a goal, even if it's on your goal. Esports are interesting to me because I love certain video games and I can get very competitive within the game. But watching video games or people playing video games, I don't get it. Wait, not at all? Because gameplay is I'm all about. When it, but when it comes to a pro level... 
so many things are happening at once. I do watch StarCraft because then it's one person doing a lot of things. But even then, it's a lot of things happening. But StarCraft is insane, though. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like the level of engagement is different. But I mean, mm, I wouldn't watch prolonged amounts of time yeah. of someone playing like i feel like I, I i i did at some point in my mm -hmm. life like back when pewdiepie was not an asshole i guess i think he's always been deep down <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like back when he still was building like a fan base and he was mm -hmm. like still you know mm -hmm. like when he mostly did um horror games yep. and stuff like that that's i was on board and but I don't think I ever watched anything other than that. And that was not very... That was in a very long period of time in my life. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Because uh, people like Game Grumps, a, a very mm. select few that do the long format, actually yeah. is, are able to keep my attention for it. Game Grumps are just fun because they talk just about as much about the game as just random stories that they have yeah and so they work good to have on in the background if anything and if it's like a like if it's a tiktok and mm. it's someone playing warzone and it's like a funny thing then sure like i feel like if i watch it it's more most mostly because i want to laugh at something mm. and they're some like most of the times they're kind of funny but in like short like in a short format long format i'm just like what's the what's the point of me watching you on minecraft or like what's that other game that people have streaming fortnite or <laughs> yeah. when it comes to streaming no. though like live streaming i've never fallen for that either maybe that's the entire sports concept or something has to do with it maybe yeah for sure um but like Maybe it's a generational thing. There, I have a lot of hypotheses about this, but streamers, I know there's like, it's insane how many people actively watch live streams. And I, don't, I yeah. can't fathom it because are you really going to sit down, go through loading screens and loading queues and everything just to watch a guy play video games at the same time as you could? The, for me, the, the weird thing about live streaming is the idea of you getting a notification like mm -hmm. this guy's going live and you dropping everything and just doing like just putting it on and sure like during quarantine that might have seemed like more of an actual possibility but for me it's like why what what how <laughs> do you really are you really just waiting for that notification and you just go online or is it like do, do, do they have like schedules but even if they do have schedules, then do you plan around those? I I think many people do, yeah. That's insane to yeah, me. Exactly. And That's like going back to watching old school TV where it's like yep. you know, the mm -hmm. new episode of A, B, or C comes out Friday sure. at seven PM. For sure. And I mean most streamers have commercial breaks regardless, so one hundred percent. If if I am to watch a live stream like if i for some reason get a notification of the few streamers that i do actually follow and appreciate watching from mm. time to time i i have them as background noise that's all yeah like a funny moment happening on stream like i'll turn my attention to it and then go back to my other thing that i'm doing usually just on my phone scrolling 
here's the thing about live streams as well. And I don't know if it's because I live in a country where I don't actually have high uh -oh. speed internet. I hate the dynamic of the live stream ah. with the comment section. Mm -hmm. It is so fucking annoying because it's like they'll respond to something and I won't see that the comment until like five minutes later yeah. or the other way around. And when they respond to something, it's not like they, um, they, they repeat the comment or they repeat the question. They just like answer, like they just say the username of the person who asked and then answer. And I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to know what you're talking about, bro? Yeah, just not good experiences. I'm not into it. Then again, I can see that to be an argument for people gravitating towards live streaming instead of just uploading videos and such, because then you have a direct communication with your fans. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I know. I know. And like, there's a certain appeal to it, mm -hmm. right? Like, I know there's a certain appeal to it, but I think that's what I think was really cool about esports is that they're starting to really be part of the mainstream conversation. And yep. I think that's really cool. I think it's like also naming them esports makes sense to me because it's like you have people who are going to be interested in that just as you have people who are interested in sports. Um, and it doesn't have to be for everyone. So I think it's really cool. I think it's really dope. No, and obviously... I think the next, next LCS season is coming up, actually, and they are always the biggest uh, in price pots and in audience and everything. I don't know how much Corona is going to fuck them up on that. Mm. But it's so cool to see such a big audience gathering. Just a bunch of nerds sweating in a big yeah. place. Yeah, the fact that it's just has come to that. Well, because I feel like a lot of the arguments that people make against esports and the fact that they are winning money for, you know, playing video games or whatever. And I could do like any of those arguments could be switched around to actual sports. And I'm not trying to put down the effort of an athlete. I'm just trying to, you know, like if playing video games was so easy, everyone would do it. Right. You know, at that level, I mean, because yeah. they they have to train they have to like they actively play better than a whole bunch of other people and it took time for them to get there and mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. you know calling them esports is not a deterrent to athletes i think it's just allowing people to understand that it takes a skill yeah. set to get to that level so you know we all have our things and i don't mind that people like you said that nerds can you know be a community mm. on the mainstream and, and i mean enjoy the spotlight if that's not the definition of a sport i don't know what is that you have to be skilled and practice yeah. many times they practice so much there are a lot of good documentaries on the esport uh scene that are mm. interesting as a nerd at least yeah for sure I've been watching a bit of Mandalorian. Are you caught up? Yeah. Because I'm I've, not. I've watched You finished it? it? Oof. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where it's difficult to avoid spoilers. So I've gotten spoilers-esque like, concepts. I've, he I've heard yeah. names. But I'm yeah. currently three, three episodes from the end. So I've gotten yeah. one of Filoni's main characters introduced. And that's so cool. And I'm excited. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I should just finish it. I'm feeling, but 
Yeah, I feel like everywhere I turn online, as soon as I see a Mandalorian thing, I quickly swoosh away. It's it's been well, long since I had to avoid spoilers like this. It's, it's interesting. Definitely, I personally, I don't like waiting for episodes, so I waited until the second season was over to actively start watching it. But then what I did was that I I muted I muted the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and all the like keywords on Twitter yep. because it was everywhere. Every single uh, week, it was everywhere. And I was like, I don't want to be spoiled. And Twitter is notorious for spoiling things, like live tweeting and that entire thing that is Twitter. You see, that's interesting that you bring that up, because while I don't understand live streams, live tweeting is hilarious to me. That that goes against everything you're for. They are distracted on their phone while they're watching a movie. (laughs) Oh, you see, I'm not talking about uh movies specifically i'm talking about like people who encounter a random situation in uh, their lives and they uh, just start like live tweeting it yeah like have you ever encountered those threads where it's mm-hmm. like i'm sitting on an airplane right now and the couple next to me are starting to go at it and they're screaming holy murder <laughs> and i think it's awesome like i enjoy those it's like snippets of someone's real life Back when I actually had a Twitter, I was definitely the guy who tweeted about his daily poop. So there's there's a reason why I didn't have a following, I guess. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. I think there's a little bit of everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but I saw a few episodes with my sister over the holidays. Yeah, and I'm very excited now because recently the mo- the newest behind the scenes. Not episode, but like longer behind the scene. It's like an mm-hmm. hour. Uh, okay. On Disney Plus, I-, I live for that way more than the show itself. I'm still not convinced with the show, but I will say that the second season is better than the first. Yeah, it's more solid. Yes. Uh, I- maybe that's because of or thanks to Robert Rodriguez. Probably. Um, He's. He's a badass. Yeah, actually, John Favreau himself directed one episode, whichever that was. Yeah. I think, in terms of the Mandalorian, I enjoy everything that it's doing, and I agree that the second season's better. Um, I just love how much they have stripped back on, let's call it, the grandeur of Star Wars that we've gotten to recently with the latest trilogy and Mm. they have just really taken it back to the original sources for George Lucas's inspiration for the first trilogy which is I think key right like he was inspired by samurai movies by Kurosawa by um all these different like westerns and stuff and even that you can see on the Mandalorian allowing themselves to expand upon that like that that heist episode is baller yeah it's super dope i i i'm a little bit torn on the fact that we see so many of the same aliens especially like we have we spend a lot of time on tattooing and that's kind of overdone by now uh yeah and we see the same aliens of course in new environments and we've never necessarily interacted with these aliens they have been Mm -hmm. in the background so that's cool mm-hmm. to geek out about. But I would like to see some new some new ideas, something new. I'm fearing that it will be in the long run just fan service eventually. I think I agree with you. 
the fact that we had to go back to Tatooine like four times in mm. the same season was like, I'm sick and tired of Tatooine, bro. Like, I get it. It's important to it. But damn it. Just let it go. Um, yeah. One of the episodes that I really enjoyed in terms of aliens and, and like new creatures and stuff, I think it's on epi- on season one. Um, it's like the alien looks sort of like a like a frog and she has like her eggs in a like a thermos thing i don't know if you know what i'm talking yeah, about that's season okay. two but no, no big spoiler yeah oh well it's a good it's a really cool character and the costume I, itself I it was is really, even yeah it's, it's the same actress that plays that obinot Ob- whatever his name is the uh, i have spoken guy oh the Ocknot. yeah so it's okay. the same actress uh, in the costume and she's extremely good i'm really she's awesome I, I i love the behind the scenes content the it's fact, so cool the fact that it's a fucking costume tells you so much about yeah the show itself i think it's insane the amount of practicals that mm. they're doing right even a few models of ships and stuff yeah no i that's what i'm saying right like they they're stripping it back because they know practicals have a texture to them and we'll talk about practical effects more when we get to the movie itself. Ooh, yes. <laughs> but practical shit looks and feels different because of the texture. Like, it doesn't matter how good your CGI is. And I love the amount of variety that CGI has allowed for us to have in movies. And, you know, CGI fests are fine, but they do feel different even if they're super well made, it will never have a texture. Mm. And I think that's important to recognize. And the simple answer to why we don't do models anymore is because it's so much more cheaper to animate it. It's insane yeah. how how expensive in comparison it is to make models. But I rewatched Citizen K not too long ago. And of course, I'm aware of what's a model and not because I've dissected that movie so much and been so invested of behind the scenes material of that one also yeah but i think doing models especially on the level of citizen kane is just it requires so much creative thinking and you have to come up with so many cool ideas of how to like manipulate force the distance to use a, a miniature in combination with an actual set and how you do that and how you scale that properly and even more so how you design it and actually put down the small textures and small details that are necessary Mm -hmm. to convince you insane it's a lot of tools and techniques that we've kind of Mm -hmm. i don't want to say we've lost it because there's still a lot of people that know how to do it but i fear that we're close to losing it if we don't actually start getting that type of um information from them because that's how you Mm -hmm. transmit that information like you can't have that as part of a manual or something this is the type of thing that you feel especially in mediums such as like animation yeah right and i i think that's why leica is such a big thing for me in like in my heart and i love their movies and i love their work ethic just because they use modern tools but they keep trying to mm-hmm. stay true to what those original methods were mm. absolutely um and you see time after time that people a lot on the mandalorian they bring in these old 
veterans that used to or made the original model for that one movie to take them in and make it again make a replica or a slight mm-hmm. twist to it there's a new in this i think it was is disneyland in tokyo or mm-hmm. disneyland japan wherever they have a new attraction with uh, beauty and the beast and they apparently took inspire or they some of the original designers of the original movie came in and this is like the best animatronic out there currently it's so okay. cool and they're you don't see any strings attached it's insane it's for awesome. a, it's one of those story rides when you're in a in a boat and you just go through it all <laughs> yeah but it's it's essentially as if you were to take a the 2d bell and put her in a uh vax costume it's it's very difficult to tell them apart because the animation is so true to the original that's but, super cool but there is a truth to that though as of now we have to br- take bring in the old people that use their knowledge from the past and bring mm-hmm. the, bring it to life and there is a risk of losing that completely yeah which is really sad and i think i think we should care a little bit more and i feel like watching come and see really cemented on me the fact that loving film and the people that work on film instead of shooting digital there might be a little bit more truth to what they're saying that we give them credit for we i think we write them off as pretentious really easily but maybe there's something about the fact that film has no resolution and we'll talk more about it once we get to the movie but maybe modernizing every single aspect of filmmaking isn't necessarily the best thing to do, even though it might be cheaper. It's like, I feel a bit off today. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry in advance if you're going to have to do the, the heavy talking of the movie. Because, first of all, because the movie is, it's a lot to take in. I, I saw it yesterday, late at night. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. I'm not sure if I've, truly sat on it long enough regardless i'm just off this entire weekend has been one of those weeks when it's like time just passes and i'm just eh i've been playing a lot of video games do you know factorio that game is dope it's it's one of those when you're you're a little dude and you build factories and you make them as efficient as possible and then you make Mm -hmm. a factory to make a factory to make a factory it's fun and you protect protect the factory from aliens, essentially. Um, I don't know. Today, especially, I'm a little bit off. I went on a hike yesterday, and I'm still kind of like existential and everything. I don't know what the purpose of life is. Maybe it's lingering from uh, from soul. Uh, I get that though, and I feel like January is dragging out. Sure, it really is because I feel a lot of. 2020 last year went by really really fast but oh man january feels like it's gone <laughs> for a while i just i i'm just waiting for for the next term of classes to start and hopefully then yeah. with the routine and actual things to do because that's mostly what i'm missing i can't go mm-hmm. outside of the house because there's nothing to do outside because everything is closed yeah. and there's nothing to do inside uh, so i i'm just sitting around i've been playing a lot of video games which is it's been a while i say that every time i mention it here but um well because it's always been a while you know Hmm. we 
it's just I'm exhausted by it, and I have stuff in the like in the process that I want to get to, but they're all in February. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, and what do you do until then? Just, just sit around waiting, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I legitimately did nothing. I sat around all fucking day. Mm. It was awful. And I think probably up until now, I haven't really minded as much. But today kind of like hits me. Like, I want to do something. I want to do something. Yeah. I have made a few plans with a friend of mine of a longer hike because it's it's time. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't know. Maybe having something to look forward to will keep, keep me motivated somewhat. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Talking about weather, that. though. Did it start snowing there, too? There's snow at you? All the snow here has no. melted away already. Oh, that's sad. Um, I've just heard that other places in Europe, like Switzerland, are getting a lot of snow. Mm. Like, to the point where cities don't know what to do with it that much snow already wow yeah it's fun because i don't know about the rest of europe but um last year we had zero snow like maybe a little bit of snow at night and then it's melted in the morning so mm-hmm. it's nice for a change that i'll finally go skiing that i've been longing for for so long mm-hmm. i want to really try out and go long distance skiing for once try and see if that's a hobby i can pick up i hate talking about weather though like like i'm a person that's very comfortable with silence and if you put me down in a room and leave the room with a person that I don't know, I'm perfectly fine with just sitting there silent and they will try to bring up the conversation of weather. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's snowed. Yeah. <laughs> I love freaking people out like that. It's so much I feel fun. Like realistically, I think one of the things that we struggle the most, or at least I think I'm going to like put myself on the spot here. Mm. I think one of the things that I struggle with the most when it comes to the podcast is like a the beginning of it and b having something to talk to to you about because since we are both people who are comfortable with silence <laughs> and we have actively exercised our right to be silent in front of each other or around each other. Yeah. Sometimes it just like it quiets down and I feel comfortable in it but i'm also like we are supposed to be talking because we are being recorded should we care do i care enough to try and like keep this moving well talking about weather though <laughs> uh more about the seasons i hate the weather the weather is boring but seasons my favorite season yeah. is fall my second favorite season is winter of course mm-hmm. it helps is if there's snow in winter which there's currently isn't it's just cold and sucks but i will say that around this time at least in southern sweden it's it's like the peak of winter season in in a way that for once we actually the sun doesn't actually go down at 3 p.m. i think i think it sets like 5 p.m. now already so mm-hmm. that's that's nice but since we're so far up on the northern hemisphere uh we get like not golden hour per se but golden hour lasts like one hour maybe one and a half these days mm-hmm. which is lovely and before that the sun is just so low up in the sky that you have a very pretty light from like noon until golden hour and i'm living for it uh mm. not that i'm spending more time outside necessarily but um <laughs> but yeah 
but yeah, as of now, kind of mundane life, basically. I saw just before the podcast, I put on what's it called? The Wind Rises, Studio Ghibli. Movie's mm-hmm. great, man. Uh, I hadn't seen it before. I've been working my way through Studio Ghibli as I didn't see those as kids. and uh... I need to do that too. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen the basic ones that everyone talks about, but I truly want to deep dive into those for sure. This one is a good start in the more adult-themed ones. Mm-hmm. It's way more serious, and more most of the adult adult ones are taking place around World War II. Well, because it kind of left a mark. <laughs> well, kind of, in a yeah. just a teeny tiny way, absolutely. Yeah, you know. No, it definitely says something about Miyazaki himself and his experience. 100%. 100%. It's insane. So what do you say? We've been talking long enough. Is it time for recommendations yeah. or what? 100%, yeah. Do you have anything interesting to recommend to us this week, Alga? I would say so. I want to introduce my recommendation with saying that us as filmmakers, mm-hmm. we watch way too little short film. We have a tendency yeah. to sit down and watch the big budget Maybe not always, even if you do watch the indie stuff, good for you. But like two hour long movies and we just sit down mm-hmm. and watch all of those and talk about two hour long movies in a podcast like every single other podcast on, on Spotify. <laughs> but yes. short films, however, is is like forgotten about. Uh, it's cool that they still get awarded on uh, award shows and stuff, but they're always in the back what do you call it? In the back of, of the thing. Less respected art form or whatever. Which is weird because they're harder to do. Exactly. If I may say so myself. No, that was like, exactly the point that I was getting to. Yeah. That um, um, short films are more difficult because you don't have the resources, the budget, obviously. But even, even if you were to break it down scene by scene, you probably don't have as big budget for, for a short film as you would a longer film. But it's way time. more. Yeah, exactly. There's a shorter time to tell the same sort of story arc and mm-hmm. develop characters and all of that stuff. It's harder in every way, which is weird why it's less respected, therefore. So, yeah, we should all remind ourselves to watch short films more often. Mm-hmm. The best resource I have is uh, short of the week. Like, remind yourself, go in and watch a short every week. Uh, might be from a big uh, cons. No, what's it called? Cans. Cons. Can. Can. I think there's multiple pronunciations on that. Depends on who you ask, basically. I mean, sure. <laughs> if you, you want to be yeah. safe about it. <laughs> if you want to watch a big name director and their short film in in a festival mm-hmm. like that, go right ahead. If not, indie short films are to me the more impactful ones because they have slightly more creative tendencies, maybe. That's my spiel on short films. Um, I think I'm almost done going through the entire library on uh, Disney Plus because I'm really appreciating. I'm not very appreciated of Disney, but I do appreciate that Disney Plus had put the effort in to have short films in their library. Mm -hmm. Um, Netflix have some like love, love, sex, and robots. Is that what it's called? Yeah, love, death, and robots. Right. Sex, death, and robots. Isn't sex in the name? Yeah, I think so. As well as if anything happens, I love you and stuff like that. So maybe it's maybe there's coming more, but 
it's nice to have it so accessible through a streaming service. No, you're right. It's it's uh it's love, death and robots. There you go. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um so I'm gonna I, I wanna recommend my favorite one. It's an entire series. Short circuit is like at the collection, the umbrella mm-hmm. of all of these short films, to my understanding, it's Disney Studios experimental films, it says. So it's basically they take new directors or uh, even first time directors. And what's cool about it is that there's a little short interview with the director at first with them introducing the story a little bit about the background or what it means to them. Super cool, super rad. I mean, it is experimental in many ways, mostly about art style and techniques. But um, not necessarily. It's it's all everything from two D animation to three D animation, and definitely worth a watch. It's they average around six minutes, or actually like mm-hmm. the six minutes including the interview. So the short move is around three minutes. Damn. Uh, two two shorts that I want to highlight, especially that stands out to me, is first of all Cycles, two thousand eighteen. That one, it was originally experienced or whatever you want to say in VR, so a three hundred and sixty environment. Unfortunately, yeah. that's not the way you watch it on Disney Plus, but it still brought me to tears, and I think it very easily would bring anyone else to tears in these three minutes. Super rad, cool story set in one room. Uh, the second one is Jinghua. Very cool with its 2D art style. Um, the director himself kind of is uh, looking, or he kind of invested and looked into his uh, heritage and the art styles that are, and the way he makes that into animation is beautiful. And just the emotion that comes through an entirely silent, or not silent, there's music, but you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. no dialogue. Uh also brings you to tear. Amazing, super cool. So those two especially, but if you have the interest, definitely go on, go go on to Disney Plus Short Circuit. You have all the other stuff like Spark Shorts as well, which is Pixar's version of it. Um, yeah, watch more short films. They're great. What do you have to lose? Three minutes. Yeah, and they're tough, man. Like I feel. While there, while Disney is our overlord and will eventually own every single one of our souls, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes they do push artists forward, and I think it's really interesting to see that platform within such a huge company being created for people, like you said, like new time directors or even people within the studio who weren't necessarily people who wanted to do directing, but they still Mm -hmm. have an idea. They still have something to pitch. They have something that they want to bring to the table. And I think it's really cool that you're highlighting that. And there are so Um, many stories that can't be told on a long format necessarily, or not as efficiently. mm -hmm. And an experimental films as, as its own might have a better place in a short film format. I struggled a little bit with what I wanted to recommend this week, mostly because I didn't, I just, I didn't know. I sometimes like to keep within the same vibe or whatever um, to the movie that we're watching for the week. Like if you like what we watched this week, you might like enjoy our recommendation and stuff. Um, But I did like, I, I wasn't sure if this was worth recommending because I feel like we talk about, a very wide range of different movies 
it within the podcast and i feel like maybe some people find that like confusing Hmm. that we go from shark boy and lava girl to love actually to solaris to parasite to like very heavy movies sometimes um but i said fuck it you know it's our show and um i think we can use it to kind of show different people what different movies are like and so my recommendation for this week is a movie called cold war and it came out in 2018 it was part of the academy awards for the foreign film thingy um and it's awesome i think it was amazing it is shot in black and white it is shot four by three so it's on a square format instead of widescreen which is what people usually shoot in recently and I think the four by three aspect ratio is something that I really really am interested to play with in my own filmmaking I feel the way that it frames shots make in such a reduced space when there's a reason for the reduced spaced mm-hmm. space, there's something powerful about it, and I really enjoy it. Um, the movie is directed by Powell Pavilkovsky, I think, if I'm not completely butchering that, and it's like, um, like a love story between these two people through, um, like during the Cold War that happened. <laughs> And uh, it's beautiful. It's beautifully shot. It's super kind of like heartbreaking and heartwarming. And it's it's a really good little film that I think more people should watch, even though it's in black and white and four by three. And a lot of people might think that's too artsy or pretentious, but I think it's worth checking out. Just imagine The Lighthouse. A lot of people saw that. It's the same, same, same. No, that was one to one, wasn't it? Uh, I think The Lighthouse was one-to-one. Fuck. <laughs> Dude, The Lighthouse is fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's a that's a nice wreck. Um, I, you've watched it, right? I think you've watched it. I think it. I've seen it, but it must have been a while ago. Um, I really do appreciate Russian filmmaking. It's, I mean, yeah, by every means, it's different. Uh, we don't. We aren't ex- ex- exposed yeah. to it necessarily, uh, so I, I guess that's part of the reasons why we picked "Come and See" for today's film. Yikes! Come and see. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, we came, we saw, and I don't know how I feel about it. No, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Um, but isn't that Kinda what it comes with, the uh, the geographical place that the movie comes from. Also, most of the I Russian feel, movies that yeah. I've seen are super depressive, and many <laughs> of them are about war and and yeah, just existentialism. And yeah, just yeah, for sure, for sure. There's something about being a Russian and in that sort of uh, weather, everything is just raw and grimy Mm -hmm. makes you to what you are while they're very poetic I must say
We watched Come and See, which is a 1985 movie that came out of Russia. Um, it's an anti-war film. It's directed by Elim Klimov, and it stars Alexei Kravchenko and Olga Mironova. And it's based, well, not based. <laughs> uh, it was written by Alice Adamovich and the director as well, Elim Klimov. Mm. They were both working together on the script and it's loosely based on Alice Aldamovich's like experiences during the second world war as a teenager who fought with the partisan army and also interviews that they made to the very few survivors of the, the Belarusian genocide during world war two by the Germans. And that's kind of um, the stories about this kid who is fucking brilliantly portrayed by Alexei Kravchenko. It is insane that this kid was 14 and was able to just reach the heights of the performance Mm -hmm. that he does. Um, And so this boy gets drafted into the partisan army and he feels like this is his chance to be a hero and to do something for his country and all of this stuff. And the movie is... Kind of like a descent into madness, yes. but not in the same way that a character study might do it. This is more of like how, of course, it's a character study and it's about the loss of innocence and stuff, but it's more about how you lose um, faith mm-hmm. in the principles that were instilled by you to you by the government and this idea of heroism and all of that crap. And then you actually get to the war and you live through it and... It fucks you up, mm. really. Um, in terms of your spoiler-free thoughts, Alcott, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, it's heavy and it's depressing and it's at the same time very poetic, but you all know that going into it. Um, there are so many beautiful shots. God damn. So Which beautiful. is weird to say. Well, is it? I, I feel like it's completely fitting for this kind of movie to have that kind of cinematography. I think it's really interesting because I wouldn't necessarily say that they're playing with beautiful shots. Mm. I feel like the the cinematographer, um, Alexei Rodinov, really tried to make something beautiful with a lot of ugly stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like, it's not hyper-stylized in the same way that other movies might be. He's trying to find, like, I I think they're using, like, a really, um, like, an approach to real-life filmmaking. Yes. Like, it feels very real, mm-hmm. feels very documentary style in certain parts. Um, but they still manage to find those, like, pockets of beauty within. Yeah the fucking it's, chaos that it is it's like a master class of composition where, where it's at where yeah. many many shots are straight out of a renaissance painting with, with the way yeah. they are composition compositioned and where where the uh, actors are placed and or dead people I guess those would be actors also. Would I? What What are my thoughts about the movie? It's It's depressing. It's sad, but it leaves an impact, and that's mm-hmm. that's always a good thing. 
Uh, it's one of those films that I guess are healthy to the individual to see. And mm-hmm. hopefully we will finally learn from history. But I mm-hmm. guess what we learn from history, that's a quote from someone. What we learn from history is that we do not learn from history. Some wi- wise guy said that sometime. <laughs> uh, can I recommend the movie though? No. To a select few, okay. maybe. But it's a it's a hard... I mean, discarding all of the like disastrous things that you see what you say like all the awful things that are portrayed and to a very real extent on screen despite that i can't really recommend it to many people because it's a slow watch it's a difficult Mm -hmm. watch um i think i think it's worth for the impact but i'm not sure if the uh, the experience of watching the entire film is is amazing as a movie on its own the story to me is kind of like the heavyweighter, the heavyweight. I'm a little bit at a loss for words today. I hope, I hopefully, mm-hmm. I get some sort of point across. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm, what I'm feeling about it, though. Okay. It's um. I think you're right. As 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 far as the people who have seen this movie, and if you clicked on this episode, maybe you've already seen it, um, which. If you haven't, the Moscow Film Institute uploaded it to YouTube on its complete, like it's the whole movie and it has English subtitles and you can watch it there. It's a beautiful um, restoration of the original um, film negative. And so if you haven't watched it, you can stop the podcast, go watch it on YouTube uh, and come back. But I feel like you and I came to this movie I don't I don't know how we came to this movie personally I saw the the poster I think the poster was of course it's kind of like really it's super eye-catching um I thought it was a sci-fi for a second based on the poster that we that I saw and then you kind of start getting into the the snobby side of film of the film community and everyone has seen it and everyone loves it and Hmm. Roger Deakins says that this is a movie that he keeps coming back to in kind of like a masochistic way because you know it's going to be raw and you know it's going to be impactful Um, but you also know that it was so beautifully made and there's so many different techniques as to how it was shot and how it was done and so I think in terms of recommending the movie I'm not sure it's really heavy it's a hard movie to sit through it's foreign so the editing and the pacing is completely different to what we're used to from western movies but if you're interested which i hope a lot of people (laughs) begin to begin to be um interested in foreign film and you kind of want to dabble into soviet cinema Mm -hmm. this could be an interesting gateway not because it's easy to watch, but because I feel like he, like Elim Klimov, is definitely easier to sit through than Tarkovsky. Like Tarkovsky is way more about sitting with the movie and being patient and kind of like a meditative filmmaking approach. And Elim Klimov is way more aggressive mm-hmm. with how he makes 
at least this movie we haven't I haven't seen any of his other work but yeah that's I think I it's hard to talk about it not gonna lie like I don't know if I would recommend it <laughs> hmm. so spoiler warning of come and see yeah yeah where do you start I think fuck I don't even know man Like, I actually don't know where to start in the sense of, like, do we talk about, you know, the technical prowess of this? Do we talk about the fact that this is, like, the last movie that L.M. Klimov directed? Like, he didn't do movies after this movie because mm. he was, like, whatever was possible through filmmaking I've already done. Like, do you talk about the harrowing experience that it is to see this kid fucking, like succumb to the madness of war and death and fuck is there more to i didn't even reflect upon the fact that he hasn't made any movies after all is that a, is there any fun tidbits on that well a lot of people think that the, the the shooting of this and the making of this was so grueling that it actually just like yeah because i mean finishing it, this was almost the entire movie is set like in the forest in bogs and just Wow, so yeah. tedious it must have been to bring the camera out, and and you can see that some shots are very, I would say, guerrilla filmmaking, but not even. Uh, it's very like rustic style of a filmmaking, which is interesting that you mentioned because actually, the way that Soviet era movies were made, like everything went through the film commission, mm. so budgets and all of that and for this he had access in terms of camera equipment to things like steadicam which stanley kubrick had just perfected mm. in 1980 with the shining so there's parts of the movie that he chose to shoot with steadicam and there's parts of the movies that he chose to shoot handheld and it all was thought through and i feel like when it comes to soviet era filmmaking and filmmakers everything was so precise into what they wanted to say as also is not too uncommon with these sort of films it's definitely one of those very meticulous ones trying to transition into the technical aspects like with the uh, lens choices uh, it's a very clear dynamic that he sets up with the close ups being weird from the most part or mm -hmm. uh, with the lens choice untraditional and in the beginning of the movie I forget I kind of got into a trance by the end of it but in the beginning of the movie he definitely uses a lot of zoom lenses and works a lot with um, dolly zooms and so things like that is a a sign of someone really thinking things through because they're for one reason or another is a reason why you change out the equipment or style or technique mm -hmm. and there's this idea that the reason the movie feels as sad and as full of grief as it does is because he had just experienced the passing of his wife who was also a filmmaker and so he had to finish her movie and then he shot this so it's kind of like a compound feeling of grief for the passing of his wife but also whatever emotional process that you deal with when finishing something for someone else mm. because of them passing away and then obviously the experiences of 
the collective culture from Belarusia where the movie was shot, which is something that you don't really see anymore. You know, everything was thought upon the fact that they wanted to honor the tragedy that happened. Fliora is like 14, 15, and he, we started the movie with him and his friend digging through a battlefield to find weapons, like a gun or a rifle in this case, so that they can join the partisan army. And this is where (laughs) the European and the foreign way of making film starts kicking in because the editing is not about guiding you through a story. It's to tell the story. So you don't get a sense of like how much time has passed. You don't get a sense of where they are, who they are until the story tells you. Um, So soldiers show up at Florida's house and his mom is like freaking out, obviously. And she's telling him like, please don't go. What will happen to me and your sisters? Like your dad's not here. All the stuff that any sensible mother would say to a child when they want to go to war. Um, But he leaves anyways. And you start getting it like an idea of the filmmaking tools that Elem Klimov decides to use, most specifically the close-ups. Yeah. And the way that he frames people like right dead center, Mm -hmm. almost looking at camera, but not really. And how that makes you feel deeply uncomfortable. For most of it. Mm. And he just holds the shot there. And you're just like... It's kind of what I was touching up earlier. Like the way the the close-ups are shots are... They feel very unnatural. It's yeah. it's way too close for your comfort zone. And that, that kid's facial expression does not help. He's mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. So expressive, almost cartoony to a point. So I'm not sure why that works so well, but it it just does. His eyes are mm-hmm. terrifying to look at. Um, but that mm-hmm. that definitely progresses more and more. I guess that's kind of why I accept it. But uh, the first times that we really saw him in a in a state of fear, truly mm-hmm. felt it felt kind of too much. But uh, mm-hmm. but other than that, the entire movie is completely on a balanced level to that. So uh, it works, I guess. It's also... What I found interesting about the close-ups is how they kind of don't... It, you know, usually when you're shooting a film in terms of a conversation or the micro-expressions of a person looking at someone else and then looking at something you kind of angle the camera so that it makes sense for the audience to understand, oh, he is looking at that, she is looking at this, or whatever. Mm. Um, But because he uses this center frame close-up for every close-up of a person, not caring whether they were looking in a different direction, we get their front side. It takes a little bit of understanding and, like, I feel like a lot of people might not be into it because of that, because it's hard to follow to an extent who's looking at who and why Mm. they're looking at people and the way that they act. uh, Like we're jumping ahead here a little bit, but the 
the scene after Fiora gets left back uh, and the partisan army kind of like moves on and <laughs> he gets asked to switch boots with an old person who was like, hey, I can't go because my boots are fucked up. And the commander's like, oh, switch with the new guy because the new new guy's staying anyways. Yeah. Um, we see Fiora like completely heartbroken he definitely wanted to go to war and he feels like this is not how he thought it was going to be and then he has this dynamic with Gliosha and she's like the other main character for some of the movie but mm -hmm. um, that whole sequence is so strange to me because I don't I don't know necessarily what's happening. Like on the one hand, she's making fun of him for, you know, being ah. this little kid who doesn't know anything. Yeah, yeah. But on the other, like on the other hand of that, she's being really nice to him and it's a weird contrast. And I think even he gets really confused and that's why he gets mad. I feel like she is a character. Mostly during that scene is just a uh, strange kind of, mania-ish-esque <laughs> or such. It feels like she's yeah. bipolar to an extent where she goes from laughing her ass off to feeling bad for him in, in one split second. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I, I'm not very unsure what they're trying to get at with that. Yeah. Myself. And then we kind of get the first intense yes. scene of the movie, which is the German plane bombing. Germans are attacking and are parachuting down and motherfucking bombs, <laughs> man. Uh, it should be mentioned, though, that that little small, the inserts of, uh, in in the most cases, Fioga is looking up in the sky and you see planes with the, mm -hmm. with the, with the audio of it basically mm -hmm. that's spread out throughout the film and that, that that's another really small small beautiful shots with the plane just going by and uh mm -hmm. but nonetheless the bombs those are real as fuck man those are real as fuck <laughs> <laughs> there is no fake hollywood fireballs here it's just real bombs no. that they blow up some trees with i how did they even film that? How did they get permission for that? That's insane. It's cool yeah. how you really can distinguish a... I say proper bomb, but there's definitely a rigged, so so it pushes up more dirt. I'm not sure if they were, would even use air cannons or whatever you normally do. Yeah. They feel different. They have a yeah. different texture to it. Like the, the, the fact that you don't see fire within the explosion, at first you're like whoa, that's different. But then it just feels more grounded. It feels like something is actively blowing up in a very raw way. And the way that it's shot, like those first bombs, mm. those kids are so fucking close to the blast. Mm -hmm. Like so dangerously, is this illegal kind of close? It's it's uh, it's not union regulated. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> And, and I don't know if it's because the first shot is so close to them and you're like, okay, this is this is the thing that's happening. And I think everything about the movie is contributing to the fact that it feels like they might be in real danger. But it's just a really intense sequence that comes out of nowhere, really, because nothing has happened up until this point. Like, everything has been pretty subdued. 
Well, isn't that part of it that the Germans are actually attacking and or advancing mm-hmm. rather? Mm-hmm. And this is the kids' first interaction with war and death, more importantly. Yeah, because everyone like everyone who was left behind died. Like the only reason the Glosha and Fleurda were not affected directly is because they ran away and they were like far from well not far but they were not the main target per se yeah and then you get what i found to be really interesting because it kind of reminded me of solaris in a way you get a sequence of them being kids and playing around and just very sub again subdued and kind of like meditative and like letting you sit with what just happened uh-huh. which if you think back on solarius it also was like that where something important would happen and then we would get the shots of the planet surface and just like sit with those for a second kind of like the directors knowing exactly what they put you through and so you're just like you can take a moment now enjoy the pretty forest and the the storks and the rain. <laughs> so that stork is a metaphor, isn't it? First of all, is are storks? Is there storks in Russia? <laughs> I, is it even a stork? Like my knowledge of birds is so limited, but yeah, I think it's a stork, a stork yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are weird, man. They're so big. I hate big <laughs> birds. Birds are fine, but when they come to the scale of a stork, that's too big. Slow down. Pelicans are it has big a, enough. Like a really pointy beak too. Mm. Like at first, I thought when when they're lying down and they see the stork and it's like right in front of them, I was like, is it gonna attack them? Oh, do they? Maybe see it's the just because it's a big bird. I they were sleeping. I nah, whatever. Uh, somewhere around that time, they make the decision, or I guess. Uh, he makes the decision to go back to his uh, his mom, and there is uh, his home. Takes his this his new girl with him, and the rifle in his <laughs> in his uh, pant pocket or pant leg rather. Yeah, hiding it away. <laughs> um, they come home to an empty village, to an empty house, and there's some hot food. Mm, delicious. Here, dig in, and it's so. I mean, it's very clear to us as the audience what what has happened, what has gone down, and they are slowly trying to figure out. But one of my bigger... Like, this scene to me is weird. It didn't communicate what was happening at all to me. Or am I just not getting it? Like, there's this underlying thing, the atmosphere of death, I guess. But the moment when... Uh, Fiora snaps out of it or into it, I guess, rather into reality didn't hit me at all that didn't make sense, What what's triggered that and what made that happen do you have any way to answer that, did you feel like it was like you mean when he like runs away, yeah. when he's like I know where they are, I feel like like the editing choices there were weird, strange didn't mm. didn't communicate properly it is very sudden where he's like giving her the food and they're and he's finding he's like yeah come on like you can eat and she's like all about the dolls on the floor that are left there and the hot food and she's like "Mm -hmm." well i think 
I think the last thing they show you before he runs away are the dolls. And that's what I mean with this guy not caring about the geographical composition. Like, yeah, sure. Because he does it throughout the movie all the time. Um, but that's the last thing that we see before he runs away. Mm -hmm. So in my head, it's kind of like he probably recognized the fact that, A, they wouldn't leave hot food behind. Mm -hmm. Like they live in a situation where food is hard to come by. And kids don't leave their toys just like in a perfect line and, and ominous. And, <laughs> you know, like you said, the moment that they get to the to his house, to the town even, it feels fucking dark. Yeah. <laughs> like we understand what's happening. And she understands what's happening because she's been around. Like she was a nurse. Like she knows what the fuck is happening in terms of the war um to me to me the editing or that scene the way it was constructed was uh distracting or just missed mm -hmm. its point to me the, when i saw it but which the, is fair yeah but the presumably steady cam shot as you mentioned that they actually used them shot right after when they start running to the bog and she turns around and sees the pile of dead people just keeps running okay no dude don't look back keep running that is like one of the first heavy impactful shots of the film and it's so small yeah it is like it is constructed in a way where if you looked away for a second you missed it but because that's that's just, that's how long she looks at it too mm -hmm. Like, she looks back for a second. She sees the line of dead bodies. And we get a glimpse of it as well. But it's uh, haunting. It's like it sticks with you, like you said. And then yeah. the whole sequence after that, when, when they're going through the bog itself. Mm -hmm. Fuck, man. <laughs> like, you can feel the desperation on the dude. Mm-hmm. Again, the performance. Like, wow. Wow. Like, because for me, them going through that, also, like, just going through a bog is exhausting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we don't know how many times they shot that. And we don't know, like, they had to do all of these things. And when you're shooting in nature, you don't really control stuff. Like, when she kind of, like, sinks down and her whole face gets covered, like, you start wondering, like, how much of that was actually planned? Like, was she told like hey you have to sink down at some point or was it something that happened like and you think of all the new stories about men versus nature in hollywood where it's like leonardo dicaprio almost got hypothermia in a river and shit and you're like yeah but these kids were like <laughs> 14 15 they had never acted they they didn't know necessarily what they were signing on to like I would not be surprised if they just showed up on the day and like, okay, get in the get in the water. What? Yeah, just crawl over. It's probably fucking freezing as well, though. Mm -hmm. Where the movie kind of uh, lost me in when time wise, did you feel uh -huh. like the movie was? Did you feel that it was longer than two hours? Was that noticeable? Did it feel like a long movie when you sat watching it? 
Uh, I think I'm the wrong person to ask that. Okay. Because I am pretentious enough <laughs> to be like, this is a slow burn. I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Also, I had like mentally prepared myself to watch this movie. Um, like it's not like I randomly just popped it in and sat through it. I, I'd heard enough about it that I was like, I'm gonna mentally allow myself to be, you know, taken into this experience. Kind of like with um, Solaris. Yeah. Like I knew that Tarkovsky, because that was my mistake with Stalker, and I think that's why I didn't really enjoy stalker as much as i could have is because i didn't know it was like the synopsis of it sounds so like sci-fi action-packed thing that i was like oh it's gonna be dope and then i fucking started watching it and it was just like these long drawn out (laughs) shots that tarkovsky loves to do yeah so i feel like after that experience when it comes to any sort of foreign movie i try to understand how they're approaching it because it's almost two hours and a half and i was like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna sit through two hours and a half of this i have to be ready for it um but i will tell you what it did feel it start. i the moment where i realized i'd been sitting and like that it took me away for some reason uh was uh Right after the Germans leave, after burning down the building, mm-hmm. he kind of like, they take the picture of him with a gun and stuff. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that's when I was like, okay, how much is it left yeah. in this movie? Yeah. And I don't know if it's because that sequence with the building is so fucked up to me. Like, it oh, yeah. moved me. It, it left an impression. If I were to take this movie and... Re- redo it i would kind of like trim a lot of fat there's a few fe- mm. scenes that i feel you could just get rid of uh mm. if they're not adding much to progress the story like mm-hmm. like even the entire cow sequence and that that feels kind drawn of redundant in a way a little drawn right. out if anything and i do feel like halfway through the movie when we're at this house and people are inside of the building up to that point, that's fine. When he jumps out the window and quote-unquote escapes. Um, at least be escapes being burnt alive. That That's where I... From that point on, I feel like it becomes kind of drawn out. And it's just... It's a slow burn. I get, get that. But I feel like nothing interesting enough happens that it doesn't... It, that it keeps my interest. Mm. Like so. So I feel like you could have shorten it down a little bit more neater and so there's a lot of nazi soldiers uh, just enjoying themselves and a lot of footage of that i don't i don't know if that necessarily adds to it that the fucking shot though when he's about to be shot in the head the (laughs) 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 because i know the shot so well taking when they're taking taking the the picture you're taking the photo. That's a very nice little scene that's very nice, cons- nicely t- constructed. Because I know of the yeah. shot so well from, you know, film school. A lot of uh, film critics and stuff like using a lot of close-ups from this movie. So I, I'm familiar with the gun-to-the-head shot. And in the beginning yeah. of the movie, it's like, 
oh, so this kid is going to kill himself. That was my thought. Uh, yeah. Apparently, it didn't turn out that way because he was about to be shot by a Nazi instead. Um, but no, um, turns out to be a trigger of the camera, and that's all. And they just leave him there. And he just flops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which... Honestly, at that point in the movie, I was like, "Yeah, I would, I would fucking flop too." Like, and he just what stays is the there. Point he of, stays there, even yeah. though a bike guy on a motorbike kicks him in the butt. <laughs> Which is like, yeah. I, I think I understand what you're talking about when you say trim the fat. I don't know if I agree with it though. Mm, I can see that. I, I, I'm okay with that. I think it's like. I would say it's overkill and I would say is, you know, driving the point too hard or like too on the nose or however the expression you want to use goes. But like you said at the beginning of this conversation, like we don't learn like as a society, as a humanity, we don't fucking learn. Right. So I feel like and that's where the anger from the director, I believe, Mm -hmm. like shows itself the Mm -hmm. most where it's like. He's just so pissed. And I don't know if it's because, like, when he found out about this Belarusian genocide, he had never heard of it. And he was like, how, how is it that people don't know? How is it that people don't know that Nazis would go to a village, full of, like, fill a building with people, and then light it on fire? And that they did that 820. 60 whatever times 16 or something yeah like how do people don't fucking know right and how is it that with with that track record there's still wars and we're still waging wars and we're still trying to like what even is the point yeah you know and i feel like while it might be cartoony to have this short guy with the with the graffiti I feel and like most of the soldiers are drunk out of their minds, so they they're like they they acting like frat boys, yeah. Which is such a weird comparison to make, and the fact that it works tells you a lot about fraternities and rape culture and how that works. Yeah, and uh, well, in the lack of a better term, like peer pressure, simply. Oh yeah, some guy saying yeah. some shit, and eventually people start to believe him to their deaths. And what's insane, and what I thought was like actually such a good little detail is when, when the building's burning, they also start shooting at the building afterwards, just in case you know yeah. <laughs> someone survived that. And you see a couple of soldiers shooting, but crying at what the what's happening and what they're doing and it's not like he's trying to excuse their actions but i feel what he is trying to do is to show like you know this is not they're not like a villainous figure in a cartoon or a james bond film like these were humans doing these things to other humans you know and like most of them were really into it you know like Maybe people don't want to talk about it, but a lot of people were really into it. Maybe it's because they were drunk and they were all fucked up on methamphetamines and shit. But they enjoyed it. But there was also the people that actively 
had to do it because they signed up not knowing what they were signing up for. Yeah, you really see what you're talking about there with like the director showing the humanity of the German soldiers also. You get both perspectives uh, with the very last scene there with the German soldiers actually being at gunpoint by the Russian ones having caught up to them. This one guy, translator, is trying to defend himself and excuses himself for not even being German while the other guy whoever he is i forget uh just as a realist i was like hey man we're shitty people this is what we deserve or something along those lines he's Uh, also like no bullshit yeah he's like i don't think like fucking burn me shoot me i don't give a shit like we burnt your people because we don't think that you deserve to have a future as a nation because you're all our insects and beneath us and it's like yeah no yeah for sure there were people who were super super into the nazi beliefs and and i feel they still are (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) unfortunately i feel like it kind of talks to the to the entire brainwashing that that happened Mm. as well um i i'm not too big of a fan the fact that hitler himself is painted as the villain of be end all be all kind of with mm-hmm. this movie i guess he he is portrayed as the one guy but what i mean is like there were, there were more than just him that executed his orders and made him mm-hmm. become what he is at the very end there we see uh fuck was his name flora flora but it's still it's spelled f-l-o-r so that kind of confuses me yeah. because that's a different word in swedish regardless <laughs> he he's shooting this picture of hitler over and over again and that sequence is one of my most favorite sequence from this movie it, it's beautiful because if you're gonna make a movie based on reality or on a real story cutting to archive footage is the most effective way to like hit hits the audience big and hard and like oh yeah this shit actually happened here's the proof and here's the reality and it's just so hard-hitting it's intense and the way they do it with this one with just flashes of cutaways from from reality to to the cinematic universe or what the fictional universe and real real life man that oh oh ah wow hey especially because i feel like it's it's the director giving the middle finger to everyone who thought this movie was too realistic and too harsh and too anything. Because mm. he's like, that sequence I just put you through with that fire and you were just watching a building being engulfed with flames, that's fucking nothing to what really happened. And then you get flooded by these images and you're like, yeah, I, yeah, no, okay. All right. You, you went there. Shit. Good for you. But we also get some of the most beautiful shots in the whole movie with that split diopter. Holy <laughs> shit. What the fuck? Yeah. Very like, excellently executed. You see them a lot being used in like music videos and stuff, but that's nothing in comparison to how they use it this so efficiently, proficiently. Well, it's insane. Like, fuck. Good for you. No, there, there's a lot to learn cinematography-wise here. 
even uh, script wise acting wise what not to put your actors through and um, <laughs> stuff like that also the prosthetic work yeah right. on Fliora mm-hmm. as he's like mm-hmm. getting like as he's beaten down by war yeah because like you said we see a lot of shots here and there as film lovers from this film and like i always thought it was a different character i thought it was like an old man like an oh, old yeah? person like hmm. honestly because they're so out of context you don't understand right yeah, right hmm. uh yeah just the, the dark guys really heightens these and it, there's not just one of the close-ups of his face being absolutely distraught there's a lot of them and they get worse every time we cut to them in the movie mm-hmm. i think the movie is a little bit too long though there's a lot okay. of things going on i i might even go as far as saying that the love interest is a bit like you have it for half the movie and then it's just never mentioned again does it add character maybe but like is it really needed for the story to be the what it is not to say that i felt like the movie felt long watching it but there's a lot of small things here and there that just add up mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know because anything that i can say about the movie critically mm-hmm. you know stuff that i didn't enjoy stuff that didn't make sense to me the end result and the end reaction and how it left me and how I felt through it yep. happened because the movie is what it is. So then me saying like, yeah, I would have cut some of this down. I don't know if I would have reacted or had the same experience without those things, even though I don't yep. know what the purpose of them were explicitly. Or without having a low point mm-hmm. for that duration. Absolutely. Do you have, have any no thoughts, closing thoughts? I don't really have any more thoughts than that, honestly. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Like, I feel in terms of closing thoughts, yeah. I think it's beautifully made. I think it's brilliantly acted. Like, we think we see a good child performance, mm-hmm. but this, this has set a new bar in my head as far as, like, what a teenager can do. Because that kid was 13 when they started shooting. And I haven't seen range from adults that good. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention that it's a very it's a very physical performance. He doesn't necessarily have. Yeah. He probably doesn't have the most dialogue in the movie. Mm-mm. <clears throat> I feel like if you really think about it, Russian movies are very sparse with dialogue. Yeah. Like Solaris is super sparse with dialogue yep. up until that like huge monologue that they have about what it is to be human. That's kind of what I was going at with Russian movies are usually very poetic. And this one is mm-hmm. definitely not an exception. It has a lot of nice nature shots, uh, a lot of nice juxtapositions going on and just have you sitting in a fog as he's waking up in a calm and senseless world. But then reality kicks in of what just had 
had been going down over the night yeah it's it's poetic in in a visual most importantly but has a good good message to tell as well i feel like maybe russian filmmakers soviet filmmakers truly understood the power of an image over any amount of words that you can have <laughs> i like that i like that <laughs> so yeah rating i'm i'm looking forward to seeing it oh. again i have no idea where when that would be <laughs> what kind of mood you have to be in it's like hey you want to get a beer and watch come and see with me it's yeah like, ah, i might need something heavier than a beer to be completely honest it's not a date night movie that's for sure <laughs> um yeah, but but studying it more closely, there's definitely mm-hmm. value to that. With that said, yeah. I, I just just the way I'm feeling about it, I can't really explain to why, but I'm gonna have to give it a three point five out of five. Not higher, unfortunately. It's fair. That's fair. I'm not gonna lie to you. Here's the thing. <laughs> Sometimes sometimes I hate myself because I am, in so many ways, I am kind of like a, a cliche. Yeah. But um, saying that I love this movie is weird, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But I thought it was, I thought it was really well made. I thought it was really well acted. I think there's a lot of merit behind the filmmaking techniques i think people should study it i think people should be exposed to it i think you know if there's a movie that could teach us about not killing each other (laughs) should it should be this one um i would like to say that it should be shown in class but i'm not too sure if schools (laughs) should screen this you have a bunch of 15 year olds that will never be the same um I feel like this this is the type of movie that has and uses imagery that will stick with me for a long time. Like, it's a very powerful movie in terms of its imagery, and I think it's worth recognizing. And in terms of my enjoyment through it, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but I appreciate what it's trying to do, and I think that it's doing it really well. And so for all of that, I would give it a four out of five. Like it's not a five out of five or anything higher than a four because that last star always has always has to do with how I connect to it and how I do all of this other things. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think the movie's trying to do that in any way. No, I hope not. <laughs> so that's why I can't say it's the perfect movie but it is doing exactly what it's set out to do yeah and i think Mm -hmm. a four out of five is exactly what it deserves maybe a 4.5 if like i rewatch it and i'm like again deeply affected by it yeah um which i'm sure it'll happen but for now on on one watch it's a four out of five kind of makes me want to Go and do lingo and learn Russian, though. That's a, it's a nice, it's a, I was about to say pretty. I, I wouldn't call it that. Sorry, sorry, Russian speakers. But it's a, it's an interesting language, the way it's um, constructed. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. 
But if there's nothing else to say about the film, I think not. We've covered most of it. It's um, sad. Very sad. Yeah. Life and all of that. But our cups of coffees are over. And um, with that, Ma, why don't you give uh, the, our listeners where they can uh, continue to hear more from us? Let me tell you all about it, Algot. We are on... So many podcast platforms at this point. We're on Spotify, Google Podcast, Overcast, Apple Podcast. And we also have a YouTube version, man, where you can also look at our faces while we talk to you. You know, a little bit more personal of an experience. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of winks and a lot of uh double chin. Uh so go check that out if you're into that type yep. of crap. Um Thank you for joining us for the second season, second episode. Come and see. We'll see you next time. And TikTok. Holy shit, TikTok. I've blocked that. <laughs> I cannot believe that I'm actively using the, the sentence, I am making a TikTok in conversation now. Also, because when I say that, people assume that I'm going to be dancing and shit. And I'm like, no. Hey, man. That's what the platform is for. I think we should um, <laughs> expand our horizons and see what the future holds. <laughs> uh, no, but for sure, follow us on TikTok. We have outtakes and we're going to have some top 10 lists. And um, it's, it's kind of aesthetic, if I might say so myself. And uh, we might eventually do some polls there, help you guys decide what movie we fika with next um, yikes <laughs> see you next time <laughs>